Welcome to the Software Outsourcing Show, brought to you by Accelerance, the global software outsourcing authority. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you in the studio again, and I uh, always appreciate having you here. Thanks, Bobby. It's good to be back. Uh, before we dive into the show, I want to let you know uh, something I heard yesterday. So I was actually speaking with someone in Pakistan mm-hmm. who uh, had just listened to the show and or past episode of the show and was complimenting you on it. Oh. And uh, earlier in the week, I talked to somebody in Kansas City, so a little closer to home. Yeah. Uh, but I guess, uh, you know, the word's getting out. We're only, uh, I don't know, a handful or two handfuls of episodes in and uh, you're, uh, you're making some waves. So uh, yeah. kudos, keep it up. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's always, always great to be world famous. So uh, shout out to our friends in Pakistan and, and uh, in Kansas City. And thanks, guys, for listening to the show. Tell your friends about it. Uh, let's see if we can get up there on the uh, iTunes chart. That'll, that'll be our next goal, right? Let's do it. <laughs> well, Jim, I, I thought what we would talk about today, uh, we've, we've talked about this a couple of times before, is uh, searching online for software outsourcing. And I know we've brought it up in, uh, in our episode when we talked about outsourcing to India and, and actually even I think in our very first episode, we hit on it a little bit um, talking about, uh, you know, what the heck is software outsourcing? Um, you know, the, the funny thing is, is uh, Google search is probably the go-to for anything these days. Uh, would you agree with that? I am not uh, a Bing person, so yes, I would right. agree with you. <laughs> well, and I've uh, also, I, you know, just as a little sidebar, I, I learned a new term uh, this week. Have you heard Googling right? I have not. Is that okay. a, uh, so, a variation of Alta Vista? Well, no, actually what it is, is so, you know, usually you say, oh, I don't know if that's true, so you Google the answer. When you Google right, you're Googling to find the one obscure reference that backs up your case to prove that you're right. Aha. <laughs> so that is a I, skill I, I need to start mastering, especially in preparation for the show with you. Uh, apparently I've been doing that a lot and I didn't know, but uh, I was informed this week that that's, that's the thing that I was doing. So I, I thought it was interesting, but uh, anyway, I know we've talked a little bit about uh, challenges and searching for, for a software outsourcing partner online. So I know where we all start is we think, gosh, I really need to find out more about this. And so I go online and I search and, you know, we did uh, in prep for the show, did a little research on this and uh, it, it, I thought it was really great. So if you just is it search, difficult to Google, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you just search software outsourcing companies, do, do you want to, you want to take a rough guess of, of how many results you would get back? Uh, I don't know. It's got to be in the millions though. Oh, absolutely. It was 56,200,000 results. So we said, okay, well, you know, come on. That's a lot of next page, next page, next page. Quite a few pages, right? If, if you spent what, five minutes trying to, uh, trying to, to go through and, and vet each one, that's more than a lifetime, right? Um, so we said, all right, well, you know, a, a good person, a smart outsource person. that to someone to do, right. <laughs> Just right. we may be onto a new business model here. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, uh, you know, maybe so we, we can a, help our listeners find a more efficient right. way. Well, we, we said a smart person, a smart person would go in and see something like that and go, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta narrow the search. So we said, all right, let's look software outsourcing India. And it, it is true. It did narrow the search. That brought us down to 37,400,000 results. 
Okay. Progress, but still unmanageable. And, okay. and then we said, Hey, you know, we've, we've talked about this on the show. We've talked about this, you know, India is the, is the big great granddaddy of outsourcing, right? That's where it all started. You would expect to have a lot of results from there. Mm-hmm. But let's pick, pick a couple of other countries. Let's, let's find something else. We said software outsourcing Poland. People don't think about Poland a lot when we think about software outsourcing in the States. So let's go there. Let's, that should clearly narrow it down. Absolutely. It, it did. 10,400,000 results. <laughs> so we said, okay, well, let's see. Let's get really, really specific, right? We're, we're going to talk about uh, software outsourcing in India. And let's, let's take blockchain. Blockchain's fairly new, kind mm-hmm. of a new thing. There's not going to be a lot of people out there doing blockchain. So let's, let's try that and see if we can narrow down again. I'm happy to report we narrowed down again. We actually got the smallest number in our research, Great right? Stuff. This is totally official, uh, complete academic review. Of course not. Okay. But this was our smallest number, 8,570,000 results. Wow. So still almost 9 million. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, still, still more than a lifetime. If you're talking about trying to, trying to find someone and, and vet them, right? It's just, it's there because, you know, we know that the, the top results, you can drop down and find organic, but, but really, even when we're looking at, at organic results these days, that just means that that firm is really, really good at SEO, right? Absolutely. They're, they're really good. And imagine how many more there would be if more people were good at SEO. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> I can tell you, we found some, some good companies that are not good at SEO. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, just because you're good at, at getting up there in the research results doesn't mean that you're, you're actually good at, at what you can do. It mm-hmm. means that you're really, really good at marketing. So, you know, to that point, if you're looking for a marketing firm to outsource to, you probably want to take the person that's at the top, right? They're the best one to have found you. Sure. So, I just, I thought that was interesting. I mean, I, clearly we can all see past the paid ads, right? Where people pay to get higher in search and that's there. But uh, I just, I, I, I thought that was interesting. And I, I think that's a peril that, that we see with a lot of people. Would you agree? Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, the, the two things I hear when I ask companies, you know, what have you done or how are you approaching this today is number one, you know, far and away is Google, you know, there are right. some, kind of, some kind of internet search and uh, exactly what you're describing and they're encountering the types of, of figures you're describing, even if you do make it more precise by adding certain keywords for technologies or industries or, or what have you. Uh, the other thing is, is they ask somebody they know, you know, who right. did you work with? I, did you have a good experience and, and, and that type of thing? Um, but, uh, you know, th- there needs to be more done. Right. A- absolutely. And, you know, we do see a lot of asking a friend, Hey, who did you use? But, but really the technology landscape, I mean, just because someone was good at that last event doesn't mean that they're going to be good for your event. Right. Sure. Or, or that your or event is different. Yeah, exactly. Or that your event, uh, or, or your, not event, your, your yeah. application is similar enough that they may have comparable expertise yeah, or relevant. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, so online search is one way 
but that's not really vetting the partner, right? Just because they came up in the search results, then you really got to start kind of vetting your potential partner. Where, where are they? And, you know, we advocate this on the show all the time that it's best to just go and see them. But you Absolutely. Can't that. You can't go and but you can't see 8 million companies. <laughs> so right. Maybe you could, but uh, well, it's not I, the most efficient. You, yeah, you're not going to have, you're not going to do it in a lifetime, right? Not 8 million. So let's talk a little bit. What I wanted to talk about today is, is move that and say, okay, we admit everyone's going to do online search. That's where you're going to start. But let's talk about due diligence. Sure. We practice a lot of due diligence here. And really, you've got to look at, at the company as a whole. So I, I know really one of the first things that we, we look at is experience and qualifications. Wouldn't you say that's probably up there? Absolutely, because that's that's where it starts. That's really kind of the first criteria is, is it even relevant? Before I I uh, qualify, do any in-depth qualification, you know, how relevant are they with experience? And that generally boils down to, to two things. Uh, are they using the technologies we want to use? And do they have relevant experience in our industry or in some sort of application comparable to what we're trying to build? Okay. So uh, can you give me a little example of that or? or sure. Sure. So there, there there's you know, dozens, if not hundreds of languages and variants of languages. In fact, you and I were having a, a conversation yesterday about, I think it was Angular and, and which version of Angular and, and, right. and whatnot. But, um, you know, so it, it's important to understand if you're working with existing code and existing languages uh, and you're uh, augmenting that or adding to that or building upon it, uh, do we have a company here that has expertise with those technologies? If you're building from the ground up, it's a matter of finding a company who has the ability to architect a solution uh, using the most appropriate technologies. And there's, there's lots of uh, options uh, with pretty much any type of solution. There's, there's rarely only one path to take, but uh, you know, every uh, you know, there's that old uh, analogy of if you if the only tool you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, right. if your expertise is only in uh, one technology or, or a sub a small subset of technologies, um, you may approach or the, the the company may approach with only those technologies. They may not be the most appropriate. So, uh, finding companies that can architect appropriately and utilize one of the more appropriate technologies for that solution is really critical. Well, and I think that's interesting because you you really kind of hit on one of those second areas that we talk about. So it, it's experience and qualification, but it's also the technical expertise. So just because they've been working with it, how deep have they worked with it? How long have they worked with it? How, how well do they understand it? Are they thought leaders? Are they uh, providing... Uh, feedback right to 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 that particular uh, piece of technology, correct? Yeah, I, I actually look at them a little bit different. One is cho- expertise in that area and choosing the right technology for it. When you get into true technical expertise, to me, that's more about how they do something. 
Um, okay. you know, okay. the first, the first thing we talked about is choosing the right, what, you know, what, what are we going to use to do this? The second is how are we going to use that tool appropriately? So, um, just because a company knows what to use, uh, you know, I can, I can find a guy outside Lowe's with, uh, or Home Depot with, with a bunch of tools, but does he know how to use them? And, right. um, and does he know how to use them appropriately for the work that I have to be done? And that's really, to me, uh, what what the technical expertise section is. That uh, that is a very good. I, I like that analogy because I, I was thinking, you know, some some work around the house not too long ago. There there was a, a contractor I found that honestly had been doing it ten or fifteen years. Was going to do something for me and uh, potentially did the worst job I've ever had done in my life. Um, you should have it, checked references. <laughs> Well, I checked references and everybody was like, oh yeah, he's, he's done work for us. He's done work. And honestly, I think what I did is I just asked him to do something that was a, a little, a little more outside of his comfort zone. And while he had experience doing it, didn't mean that he did it well. Sure. And that translates to any type of work. So right. when we're talking about software development here, it's a matter of uh, how do they do what they're doing just because they know uh, you know, just not because I know how to drive a car doesn't mean I can drive a race car in a, in a race. And right. so it's, it's how, how are they going to approach that? What qualifications do they have? What is their process? Uh, what are those procedures? And, uh, and, and how does that fit into our organization as well? Right. Uh, absolutely. That, that doctor might have done 500 operations, but, you know, only 50 people lived. Is that the doctor you want? <laughs> I, like I could say it depends on the 50 people, but I won't. True. <laughs> so, all right, uh, experience and qualifications. We talked about technical expertise. Cultural considerations is really in there too, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I like to say, you've heard us say it before, there's smart people everywhere. And, right. uh, but, you know, some of this is how well are they going to work with you and your team? Um, so it's important that uh, we be open to working with, uh, you know, with, with those smart people wherever they are. But there's always uh, considerations around things like what are their work hours? Are they going to adapt to that? How do we communicate with them? And, and I don't mean to get ahead, but, uh, but, that, but culture uh, factors in, uh, in, into that. So um, understanding what, uh, what considerations you have to have with respect to working with an organization. Um, there's organizational cultures. A lot of times when, when we talk about outsourcing, people are thinking immediately, oh, what's the culture in India or the culture in the Philippines or Ukraine or in Brazil or wherever we're, we're talking about. Um, that's part of the solution, but there's also organizational uh, considerations. And you've got to look at how is this uh, company going to uh, align well with us and ideally complement us or, quite frankly, make us better. Right. Uh, absolutely. We've, we've talked about that several times. We, we know, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed talking to one of our clients uh, earlier this week. He's, they've got a perfect marriage between uh, the client and the, the software partner. And every time I talk to him, he's like, you know, I, it just, this is, I feel like we're the poster child for how well this is going. Because culturally, uh, as an organization, they just fit. They work well with one another. And it's just, 
it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so that's a, a strong win, right? Yeah, I like your your use of the word marriage there. Um, oh, you know, sometimes yeah. I, I call some of what we do as marriage counseling, but <laughs> um, but it's, you know, in a good marriage, uh, the other person makes you better, and right. um, and in a good partnership with a business the other company makes your company better. And quite frankly, you make the other company better. So understanding how they, again, coming back a little bit to the technical side of how do they do what they do? What are their processes? Um, what are their expectations? What are your internal processes and practices? How well are those going to marry? And understanding the cultural consideration of uh, the culture that they, that the, these people, wherever they are in the world are coming from, but also not only uh, the the country culture or the region culture, but also the business and, and, and uh, organizational culture. Absolutely. And, and you hit on it earlier too. You, really, you can't talk about culture without talking about communication. I, I really feel like those two go hand in hand. And, and that's really one of the fourth criteria that we look at is communication skills. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that communication skills. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things I really like to do with our clients is something we call call it a lion workshop and it's something where we when we kick off an initial engagement there's a number of uh, how do we work together type items that we talk through with the client and the software outsourcing partner together and one of them is communication specifically and we will literally spend an hour 90 minutes two hours talking about how do we communicate what, when is it appropriate to communicate? What cadences? Who communicates with who, when, and where? Um, how often are leadership going to meet? How often do the developers uh, communicate? Are there daily stand-ups? What's appropriate via email? What gets communicated via Slack? What gets communicated via something like Jira? So um, understanding that type of communication is critical. Also understanding the cultural communication right. is critical. Um, you know, Americans tend to be uh, very direct. Mm -hmm. very, they are very literal. Things, are, things tend to be black and white. We don't kind of paint around the edges. We just you know, generally, and, I, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, there's exceptions to every rule, but in a general sense, uh, Americans and Westerners tend to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Eastern Europeaners tend to be very direct and in that way as well. Again, I'm generalizing, right. uh, but, but more often than not, you'll find that in those cultures as people are brought up, that's the way they tend to communicate. Uh, people in Asia tend to be less direct. They tend to be, um, you know, they tend to kind of paint a picture and let you interpret it in right. their words. So somebody may say that would be difficult to do when they mean no. <laughs> so, right. Right. And, and so it's important to understand that. And Latin Americans I find tend to be a little in between. And again, I'm generalizing and not trying to stereotype, but I think it's important to uh, spend some time talking with them and understanding what they do. Um, there's also a great book called the culture map. That, that talks about working across cultures and across right. countries and there's a section in there uh, that talks about, uh, about communication specifically. It's a book by Aaron Meyer. I highly recommend it. Uh, but uh, you know, so, so communication is really two things. It's, it's what and how do we communicate and with whom and when. Mm 
Um, and then it's understanding that cultural element of communication and the nuances so that things don't get misinterpreted. And if you go into a relationship, a business relationship, and understand those two things and take some time to talk through those with your partner on the front end, I think you'll find that uh, you'll be more successful. I totally agree. And, and I get where you're coming from too. You know, when we, when we talk about different cultures and we talk about different countries, it, it is broad generalizations. Cause I, I was actually laughing when you said, you know, Americans and, and Westerners tend to be more direct, uh, you know, having Southern roots. I, I, at times am very indirect, right? I, I mean, it's, it's direct, but you have to have a Southern Dakota ring. Correct. So <laughs> I don't understand. What do you mean? I'm a Yankee. No. Uh, Displaced yeah, to the South. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. New Englander. So yeah. you're a, uh, you're a, no, I'm joking. No. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am. So uh, the last thing really too, that, that, that has to be talked about. And I, you know, unfortunately uh, we've seen the bad side of this too. And that's, that's protecting intellectual property. You, you've got to have something in place. You've got to make sure uh, as you're dealing with this firm, how you're going to protect that intellectual property, correct? Yeah, this isn't something important. And what I find is clients are either oblivious to this or this is the only thing they focus on. <laughs> so, and they come in really concerned to come into the, the relationship or really hesitant to even outsourcing, whether it's domestic or, or, or offshore or nearshore, uh, because of this. And, and what I think is really important is as you start to have conversations with a software development partner. Um, and all of ours, we've pre-vetted uh, around this. But if you're doing this independently, you need to have the conversation about what's included in the contract. Who's going to own the code? Um, where is the code residing when it's being developed? Is it in our environment or environment that, that the, the client controls? Or is it somewhere else? And I would say it should not be somewhere else. It should right, always correct. be. You know, the, the two things you need to look for in every one of the companies that we work with do it this way um, is contractually, it needs to be very clear that uh, who owns the IP, who owns the code, uh, who owns any derivatives of it, that type of thing. And two, uh, where do things reside, uh, you know virtually because I was going to say physically, but that's not true. And, and I think it's, it's important that it's in an account controlled, on servers or in a cloud environment that's owned by the client. And, and that needs to be outlined and very clear. And it happens more than people think. I, I was, you know, with a very large organization that, that must remain nameless. And, and as you know, most of my career was around scaling, right? I, I didn't start with proof of concepts or, or minimally viable products. I usually came in somewhere after version one and, and helped scale up. And sure. uh, this, this organization that I was with, we we started to help scaling up, and they, you know, we we were going through what was called the uh, in, internalification, <laughs> internal sourcing, right? <laughs> uh, because it was it was a large enough organization that what they had done is is hired someone to help them with the POC, right? With uh, with their you know first version, and then they decided to build out a team uh, to do it in house and to use some existing outsourcing uh, partners that they had and, and subsidiaries they had done a, a POC sure. years before. And as we started trying to bring it in, all of a sudden we realized the people that had signed the contract, we didn't own the code. We, we had uh, a lifetime lease on the code, but we didn't own it. And uh, that, that made for 
some very, very interesting conversations. And there was uh, some patents filed around the way some of the stuff was approached and we didn't own it. Yeah, it's like anything else. Um, you know, it's almost again use your marriage analogy from earlier. Yeah. It's kind of like a prenup. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think it's important at the beginning of any business relationship to clearly outline and agree upon all expectations. And uh, you know, you absolutely should be asking about this. And if you work with any of our partners, uh, you know, we've pre-vetted that. But you, we, I still encourage you to to validate it. But but we've done that. And I'm sort of hung up on your internalification comment. Yeah, that it just was, sounds painful. <laughs> I know it did. It did. It really, I, I thought we could have come up with a better word, but uh, that, that's what we called it for a while. So anyway, in uh, just recapping, because we're about out of time, you know, really when we talk about due diligence, it, it is five main things that we say that you got to look at. It's experience and qualifications, uh, technical expertise, cultural considerations, communication skills, and making sure you've got protections in place for your intellectual property and, and your IP. So uh, with that, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up and it wouldn't be the software outsourcing show if, if I didn't have somewhat of a content plug, right? And, uh, and that's going to be for our 2019 software outsourcing due diligence guide. Uh, it's out there. It'll be in the show notes. We'll have a link to it. It covers all these things that, uh, that, that we say that we look for and, and gives you ideas of where to go. Uh, it's more detailed information on those risks and actually uh, some sample due diligence questions that, that we encourage uh, you to ask if, if you're getting ready to do uh, some of this due diligence work. So as always, I'm going to say thanks for listening to the show. You can always find the latest episodes and show notes uh, out on iTunes and SoundClouds. And of course, at the softwareoutsourcingshow.com. Jim, thanks so much for joining me again uh, this week and I look forward to having you back on the show. You're welcome. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Software Outsourcing Show brought to you by Accelerance, the global software outsourcing authority. Do you have a topic you'd like covered in a future show? Then send us an email at podcast at softwareoutsourcingshow.com. Podcast at softwareoutsourcingshow.com. Show notes, links, and materials discussed on today's show may be found on our website at softwareoutsourcingshow.com. That's softwareoutsourcingshow.com.